Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about um, some of the things that we've been going through as a church and community. And these are not unusual things. These are just things that hit us close because we know the people involved. But I want us to begin this morning in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. This is part of the mystery, the mystery of salvation that God has chosen to work in the way that he has done. And it's an awesome thing. And we need to be aware of that because his working in these ways continues even to the present day. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's an awesome thing. You ever think about the tears of Jesus? Can you think of some times when the scriptures record Jesus weeping? Shortest verse in the Bible. Hebrews 11:35. Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? He was at the tomb of his close friend, Lazarus. Now, even before he was sick, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, and he knew that he was going to come and raise him up. And he was standing there about to raise him up, and yet he's weeping at the tomb, his heart broken. I don't know whether he was weeping for the grief in Mary and Martha, uh, for the loss, for the hurt, for the emptiness. I think he was just weeping for Lazarus. Earlier, or later, in Luke 19.41, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And I think about that, and I think I compare it with uh, David when he was weeping over his son Absalom. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And to put this in context, you remember Absalom was a very strong, good-looking, powerful individual. And over a period of years, he undercut uh, his father's authority and he was trying to steal the kingdom away from his own father. He... um, was trying to kill him, actually. And David, rather than fight there in Jerusalem and have a lot of innocent people suffering and dying on his behalf, chose to leave. And he went out, and uh, when the armies met, he asked his army captains, he said, let this word be given, for my sake spare Absalom. And of course, Joab killed him. And what's interesting is David's response to this in 2 Samuel chapter 18. Now this is a son who was trying to destroy everything that he had built 
that was trying to kill his own father, that was in the process of leading an armed rebellion against him. And when he gets the news that his son has been killed, this is David's response. The king was deeply moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. And he repeats it in chapter 19, verse 4. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And then we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He came to his own, his own rejected him, and Jesus is weeping over the rebellious hardness, the sinfulness of his people who will not repent. And Jesus is weeping. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do you think it was just those times that's recorded that he wept? He spent many nights in prayer. I think he wept for the rich young ruler who valued his riches more than the kingdom of God. I think he wept for Judas Iscariot. I think he wept for Peter and the rest of the disciples that were there. And I wonder if there are times when he weeps for you and for me. At the hardness of our heart, at the rebellion, at the rejection, is, we, is Jesus weeping for you? In the days of his flesh, it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Part of reverence is obedience. And it goes on to say, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What does that look like? Learning obedience to what is suffered. Well, the writer of Hebrews talks about the darkness that surrounded Jesus throughout his life. Um, there were people that were opposed to him from the time of his birth. You remember Herod tried to kill him. As um, soon as the authorities learned that the Messiah was born, their first response is, we got to do away with him. And as you read through the Gospels, you have this growing a crescendo, uh, an increasing amount of opposition and hatred. And what is he doing? He's, he's helping the poor. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's uh, feeding people who have nothing. He's watching over people. Um, and for that, he has to die. And so we see that there's this great struggle. Um, it's going to culminate, I guess, in many of our minds when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out uh, from these 
from Psalm 22, which is a psalm of David. And David in his anguish, he cries out in the words of Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. How do you learn obedience? Jesus learned it through the things that he suffered. There are times when um, that becomes an experience that we're familiar with, right? In Gethsemane, after the... Uh, after, um, the Last Supper, in the context of the Last Supper, Jesus is help, wanting the disciples to understand. Um, he talks about his body and um, symbolized by the bread that was broken for them and his blood being poured out symbolized by the wine that he passed among them. And uh, Judas Iscariot is there and they're asking him. Uh, Jesus washes his feet and he says, one of you is going to betray me. He takes the, the, the bread, dips it in the sauce, hands it to Judas. John says, at that point, Satan entered him. Judas got up and left, and he makes a statement, it was night. Now, he's not talking about the time here because it's a Passover meal. Passover begins at sundown. So if you're eating a Passover, it's going to be at night. It's going to be dark outside. But when it talks about Judas going outside Satan in his heart uh, and it's night, he's talking about a darkness and a blackness that is a darkness that can be felt, a spiritual darkness. A man who's turned his back on the light and entered into darkness that's going to result in his own death by his own hand. In despair, in sorrow, in grief, in self-loathing. And he dies. And Jesus goes up from there and they go out to the garden of Gethsemane and he fights the battle in the darkness. And he gets his closest friends and he says, I'm, I'm distressed, I'm, I'm in great anguish, watch with me and pray with me. And they slept. And he wakes them up and he says, you need to watch and pray. Pray with me. And they slept. And the third time, they slept. And so he's alone in the darkness, fighting the battle. In Isaiah chapter 50, we find out what's happening, though. Isaiah is talking about, um, these are the passages that talk about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 50, you've got uh, what seems to be, crucifixion seems to be a passive thing because you can't do that to yourself. You can kill yourself in a lot of ways, but crucifixion is not one of them. Uh, you cannot crucify yourself. And so usually we think of uh, people being crucified as people who are victimized, and that's true, they are. Uh, but it's more than that in the case of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord has given me 
verse 4, the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he wakens me, he wakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. Here's the obedience. God wakened me and he spoke to me. Jesus knew what he should do. I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. What was he not turning backward from? What was he not rebelling against? I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. I have set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. When you're hanging on a cross, you cannot vindicate yourself. Jesus could have. But he chose not to. Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now it goes on in chapter 15. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? An adversary is Satan. That's what the word means. The adversary. Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Pilate didn't. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. And then he makes this strong, strange statement in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Okay, this is a person who fears God and is walking in obedience to God. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He's writing to God's people. And yet, they fear God, they're obeying God, yet they are in darkness. And Isaiah says, in this darkness is where faith is created. In this darkness is where obedience is lived out. And Jesus, crying out to God, From the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is in the dark. He's gone from the darkness of Gethsemane. He's in the dark on the cross. At the crucifixion of Jesus, it was dark from um, 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus died at 3 in the afternoon. He died in the dark. And there wasn't any voices from heaven when Jesus was on the cross. And there was no angelic visitation when Jesus was on the cross. There was no light from heaven when Jesus was on the cross. There was people mocking, spitting, challenging him, making fun of him. Uh, And so in Psalm 69 he says, uh, Scorn or reproaches has broken my heart and left me defenseless. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you ever have dark days? Do you ever have times of anger or bitterness or despair when the darkness closes in? 
When you pray and the darkness is still there, what then? Isaiah 50, it's a call to faith, to trust, and obedience. God is still there with you, and he has never left you alone. They took Jesus from the cross. He was exhausted. He was thirsty. And he died in the darkness. Amidst the failure and the taunts of his enemies. And they placed him in a tomb. And they rolled a stone across the entrance and sealed him up in the darkness. But that cry of Jesus... In Psalm 22 was not the last word. If you read Psalm 22, it starts off with the despair and the loneliness and the darkness and the questioning, God, why have you forsaken me? Um, He continues in verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And yet, he says, God, you made me trust in you from the womb. And when I was born, you have been there for me. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. They lay me in the dust of death. And he goes on. And you read Psalm 69 as well as Psalm 22. It's like he was there at the cross. But that's not how it ends. In verse 23 of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all of you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard him when he cried to him. What does Hebrews say? Strong crying with tears to him who could deliver him from death, and he was heard. Did not keep him from dying, but he did not die alone. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting our sins against us because Jesus in the dark was paying the price for your sins and mine. So God is not despised. He was heard and he was not forsaken. And so it's a psalm of hope. In Hebrews chapter 2, He's preparing us for Hebrews chapter 5. And he tells us, uh, beginning in verse 9, well, we can start with 10. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, 
in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect or complete through suffering. That's the obedience he's going to talk about in chapter 5. He continues and he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And then he continues in verse 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That him who fears the Lord who walks in obedience to him, yet sits in darkness. Let him call upon the Lord and put his trust in him. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to faithfulness. It's the kind of obedience that says, Lord, I know this is your will and I will walk in it regardless of the cost to me without the hope of getting any benefit for me. That's what obedience is. It's when you're not getting anything in response. You're not earning your salvation. You're being obedient to God because you love Him and you fear God. It's none of this, well, what's in it for me? That's not obedience. That's not obedience. Well, Lord, you know, we've prayed these prayers uh, and it's still dark. Nothing's happening. That's when you need the faith. That's when you need the obedience. Peter talks about, in the context of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, with the mocking and the spitting and all of the other stuff. And he says, when he was cursed, he didn't hurl any insult. He didn't uh, respond in any way. And then he calls us to follow in his steps, to walk in the path that Jesus walked. The obedience that leads to life. And so in that darkness, from noon to three, Jesus is crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that wasn't the last thing he said, was it? He's going to ask for forgiveness for the people who are crucifying him. He's going to cry out at three o'clock, It is finished. Our salvation, the price of the new creation has been paid. And the last thing he says before he dies, he goes from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last thing he said before he dies is this, Father. The same word that he teaches his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Father, into your hands 
I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. John tells us, uh, Jesus told us actually, before this happened, he says um, in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father. And so in the darkness there, he commits himself to God, uh, placed in a dark tomb, and he picks up his life again. John 1 starts off with this strong statement, and this is the background for everything in the book of John. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But it tried. It looked like it had won. But this command from God, this obedience, um, the being a true son, and Jesus rose from the dead. It's interesting that... Uh, in the Gospel of John, it tells us that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb and finds the door open. In the darkness. And they always say that it's always darkest just before dawn. In the deepest darkness, your darkness my darkness that he took upon himself, he rose from the dead. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the tomb rolled away, and there was a new day dawning, a day of salvation, a day of resurrection, a day of life, a day of hope, because Jesus rose from the dead. So he comes to us in our darkness. And he takes that despair and that fear, that emptiness that's there, and he speaks a word of life. And he comes to us, and he calls upon us to walk with him in our obedience. And um, he makes a statement in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Are you walking in the darkness right now? Are you going through the valley of the shadow of death? Do not fear because God is with us and he will speak to us a word of hope and a word of life. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It was a painful thing. It was a thing that... Uh, he saw as something that he wrestled with and tried to overcome and could not. So he pleads with God on three different occasions that God would take him this thorn from him. Paul calls it a messenger of Satan. And God speaks to Paul and he said, No, my strength is made perfect through weakness. You keep the thorn, and you learn obedience, and you learn faith through it, and walk with me. So Paul has his thorn in the flesh, 
Jacob, after he wrestles at Peniel with God, for the rest of his life, he's limping. It's a costly thing. He's limping. A reminder that God is with him. Think about Job and what he lost. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the, of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look to the cross and we see the foolishness and the weakness of God. Look to the cross and we see the power and the authority and the glory of God. Now the thing is that God calls us to walk with Him. Um, there's a whole list of scriptures here that talk about the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And if you want to know Christ in this way, it's through obedience, it's through faith in the times of darkness. And when we walk through and share in the sufferings of Christ, because any time you suffer, He suffers too. He is with us. God, where are you? I'm right here. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to, to despair. We're back to Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. So it's a call to obedience in the dark times. And what happens is that when we walk with Christ in those times, then the light of the glory of God shines through you. And you become the light in the darkness because of Christ's presence in you. Because He is with you. Uh, I look at Job. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his family. They all died. First thing he did was he went and worshipped God. When David's infant son died, the first thing he did, he went and worshipped God. Um, these men came to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering and they came to know the victory 
and the power and the presence of God in the darkness. So there's hope, there's joy. Um, Jesus fulfilling the word of God and that brings salvation to everyone around him, including you, including me. Let's pray. Father, you are the light of the world and you've sent your son to be the light of the world that through him we don't have to walk in the darkness anymore. And that as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, even then, we don't have to fear because your presence is with us. We pray, Lord, that in that darkness, we will learn also obedience and faith and trust and to know the certainty that in the dark is the time of creation and creativity. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that reaches down to us and draws us into the light because there is our life, our hope, our peace, and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have hope because of the presence of Christ, because of the victory that he gave. Um, And as we walk with him, um, there begins to be a, um, a companionship, a friendship that Jesus is talking about is available for you and for me. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. I want you to know and I want you to participate in what I'm doing. And as we walk with him... Um, there are those who, who stumble because they're walking in the darkness. But Jesus himself provides a blessing. After the resurrection, they re- the disciples were still struggling with that. How can that happen? How can... We saw him die, crucified. And you remember Thomas... And so Jesus comes in his doubt and in his confusion and in his fear. Jesus meets him at his point of need. And he said, okay, here I am. Uh, if you need that, here's the nail print. Put your hand in there. Here's the wound in the side. Put your hand in there if that's what it takes for you to believe. And then Jesus said this statement. Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so Jesus himself uh, gives that blessing. Peter talks about it as well. And he says... Though you have not seen him, he talks about Jesus Christ and following him. Um, And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the faith in the darkness is a darkness that doesn't see but obeys anyway. 
And Jesus himself gives you a blessing when you walk that kind of walk. That's because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body, it's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. New life, a life that's eternal, a life that's filled with hope. And as we talk about the faith, um, you can read Hebrews 11 and 12. It talks about those people who died in faith believing not having received or experienced the promise. And those are the people that we hold up and say, these are the heroes and the heroines of our faith. Uh, these are those people who through faith obtained the kingdom. And so he invites us to walk with him through the dark times as well as through the light. Learning faith, um, learning obedience, learning the secret of his presence with us. Will those who are serving communion please come forward?